Full Court Fits is The Ringer's new weekly NBA video series hosted by Big Waz, a.k.a. Wozni Lambre. Each week, we take you around the world of NBA fashion and share can't-miss style choices from your favorite players and keep you up to date on the latest news and releases in sneaker culture. Waz also talks to experts like Damian Lillard's personal stylists to give you behind-the-scenes looks at how the NBA's biggest stars choose their outfits. New episodes drop every Friday, so make sure you're subscribed to The Ringer's YouTube channel at youtube.com slash The Ringer so you never miss an episode. This episode is brought to you by Mint Mobile. If you've had it with your overpriced wireless plan with its insanely high monthly bill and unexpected overages, then listen to this. For a limited time, wireless plans from Mint Mobile are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. That's unlimited talk, text, and data for $15 a month. Wow, right? To get this new customer offer, just go to mintmobile.com slash watch. That's mintmobile.com slash watch. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for more details. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, View its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. I need support staff to clear the room. Stand up and walk now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I am an editor at TheRigger.com and joining me on the other line... He's wailing away. It's Andy Greenwald. <laughs> you saved that one for days. I love it. Oh, Andy, today we are going to be talking about uh, The North Water, uh, a television show starring uh, Jack O'Connell, Colin Farrell, and Stephen Graham. It is currently streaming on AMC+. Plus. I believe it's available via... Was this a BBC show? This is BBC America streaming... I, I think it's important to say this is a LeBuro situation. If you yeah. kept LeBuro, you have access to the show. It is the most Chris Core show since the late lamented Taboo. A, a lot I of can't wait to talk about. People it. have been talking about my podcast that I did, like a couple of was it was it a couple of months ago? Like did I do it last Christmas or something? When, when did I do the like most anticipated shows of 2020? And is it was like. The, and I did it like solo. solo. Yeah. And I uh-huh. think I talked about the North Water on that one. It didn't come out in 2020. It's out in 2021. I think it's awesome. I can't wait to talk about it with Andy. I'm sure he's got a lot of takes on it. Uh, Andy, how are you doing? I think we should start out just by saying um, how thankful and uh, relieved we are to hear that Bob Odenkirk is feeling, you know, his least in stable condition after a heart related incident on the set of Better Call Saul. We, all, we were all kind of on pins and needles yesterday following along with the news or waiting to hear some news about it. That was one of the strangest days in recent memory. And I have to say, let, well, let's start with what, what, what you said. Um, the degree of upset that I felt personally for someone that I've only met once that I don't know was surprising to me and I think shared by hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people across the country. I think the, probably... The strangest thing about the day, I mean, and, and we can talk about it now in past tense, because as you said, Chris, as of last night, the news reports is that he did have a, quote, heart-related incident. It sounds like some sort of a heart attack. He is stable and conscious in a hospital in Albuquerque. And so I think we can feel comfortable speaking about this now, in the, you know, as a 
a close call, a terrifying health scare, but he seems to be okay and he's going to be okay. Uh, that's those are the actual the words that his son Nate tweeted last night. Mm-hmm. Um, very unique 2021 day in that there was no news. We are as a people always pre social media oh, not yeah. good with uncertainty. Yeah, we, of course. I mean that is the hardest thing for any person, especially in the modern world, to process or just sit with. We want to know. For a second, all the time. I thought and you were like we there just know. was no news at all yesterday, and I was like, I, I hate to break it to you. <laughs> Everything's been happening. Everything else seems fine. I don't know what you're talking about. Um, As a big infrastructure guy, I was mainly focused on that. But do you know what I'm saying? How odd that was? Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah, because it's usually just like weird leaks and speculation. And and I I honestly was almost like a little bit nervous because of the cone of silence that was sort of surrounding the entire thing. This is like all besides the point, like it's not a meta commentary on the the way we live now. Like I'm just so happy that Bob Odenkirk is, is... is going to be okay, but it was very strange. Like exactly you're saying, like usually, like when an NBA player goes down with an injury, there are like 50 tweets while the guy is still getting an MRI about what they think is going on with him and what might happen and how long he might be out and what this this internet doctor thinks. Obviously, it's not the same thing for for an actor who who suffers a a medical emergency, but the hours of no news was really weird. Yeah, and I think it does speak to the gravity of the situation. And I'm sure when he and his family, if they ever do share details, I think it will be, it it, it clearly was serious. But what was so disconcerting as people who have no right to know, he's Mm -hmm. a private person with a family and a life, was just that, if you think about it, very appropriate cone of silence, you know? Um, And it was old-fashioned in a way. And I think that that also speaks to, I mean, who more qualified to call things old-fashioned than the two of us? on the internet's most consistent old-fashioned pop culture podcast. But the affection and love the, and the outpouring of emotion that was visible on Twitter in the face of the uncertainty yesterday for Bob Odenkirk was itself kind of old-fashioned because he is not, despite you know his fame growing exponentially over the last 10 years, he is not a, he's not a TikTok star. He is no. not a particularly 21st century celebrity. He is a 58-year-old man who's had a very long and varied career with fans every step along the way. There are people who noticed his name when he was a writer on Saturday Night Live 30 years ago. There are people who are devotees of Mr. Show, the incredible groundbreaking sketch comedy show he did with David Cross. There are people who are fans of, you know, comedians he's mentored or sketch comedy shows he's produced. And then there's this late period, oh, he's a beloved and actually pretty incredible dramatic actor, yeah. both in Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul, and then showing up in Little Women. and the Post. Uh, the Post. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, I, I don't know. Maybe it's also because... And also like because a, I'm a also, burgeoning action star with... Right. Yeah, with nobody, yeah. With, with nobody. And, you know, he is also a, by all accounts, a very kind and, you know, relatively private person. And the... So the emotion for him was was moving. I, I was surprised how moved I was by all of it. And then the next thing, just to say, now that you know he seems to be healthy, he's well, that's, that is the headline. That's the only thing that truly matters. If we have the luxury of taking one step down too, there was, of course, in this terror and fear of another very contemporary phenomenon, which was we want the rest of our story. Yeah, sure. Right? I mean, yeah. I, 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 it's too soon to talk about that. It does not matter in the face of actual medical 
emergency or the potential loss of a beloved family man and friend and mentor and actor and father. But I think people were panicked about that too. Sure. You know? And as we, I just want to put this thought out there, as all entertainment is now serialized entertainment with, you know, the goal of beginning a story or continuing a story or jumping on some IP to reinvent a story, there never is just one chapter, right? Like everything is going to be a multi-part saga. And part of the investment is that everybody's going to be around to see the end of it. Yeah. And that was an extra piece on top of the emotional terror that people were feeling yesterday. Not nearly as important, but maybe no. people's connection to this person's life. And I think that was sort of noteworthy and worth commenting on. I think that the fact that he was making Better Call Saul when this happened made right. it like sort of extra kind of uh, sad. In the final season of it. Yeah, and, and they, a season that they have had to wait to shoot because right. of, of COVID. And I think that they were kind of in that slot where they would have been shooting right when COVID was starting to go really, really wrong and everything was really getting shut down and they had not come up with any kind of protocols of how to do this yet uh, and how to re- start making stuff. And, you know, I know that you you know the the, the areas that they were shooting in very well. I yeah. mean, obviously you were down in Albuquerque. So, um, yeah, I, I, I completely understand what you mean. I mean, like, it, it's not really like, what does this mean for Better Call Saul? It's more like man, I just realized like how important this guy is to me and how important this, this show is to me. And I'm just so glad he's, he's, he's feeling a little bit better, apparently. There's a piece of the way we process culture now where everything is the scroll that CNN invented on 9-11, where there's just a constant feed of information. And I think the constant feed of information leads to a kind of passivity about the inevitability of a narrative, that it's mm-hmm. just going to happen this way. And we are not used to, and we do not like, honestly, we don't like being surprised. I mean, people say that we like to be surprised in movies or whatever, but we actually we actually don't. We want right. to feel it coming. We want to feel a safe jump or jump scare or whatever. And not to get too grandiose, and this doesn't need to be the topic of today, but there was some overlap to me just in terms of the mania that I felt emanating from the Twitter machine, what, uh, something I was very happy to step away from for most of the week, from something like, well, Simone Biles is supposed to win the gold medal. Mm-hmm. Well, Better Call Saul final season is going to come and be brilliant and blow us all away. All of these things are supposed to happen, and they're going to be delivered on time because I've been invested in every step, step along the way. But life doesn't work like that. Life doesn't work like that. Yeah. And we felt a kind of collective freakout about strangers <laughs> over that very human reaction this week. Have you been watching any Olympics? More than I thought. Yeah. More than I thought. By the way, now that we're talking about the podiums, I should say that I don't even deserve to podium right now. Uh, I hope the audio is okay. Um, <laughs> I, 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 we should have mentioned this at the beginning, but you know, in the language of the North Water, the show we're going to talk about shortly, <laughs> when, we, when I got off the boat to club some seals to death, uh, my podcast rig didn't make it back on the boat. It's right. been identified by a penguin who is going to give you know, it to me. You think that this is a podcast, Andy? This is actually a, a laudanum intervention for you because I think <laughs> no, you've been hitting, in, hitting the bottle a little hard and now you're just so, forget, forgetting microphones in different Northeast cities. So Chris and I are recording kind of, as, you know, doing the best we can. And we're guided by voices today. We're, we're lo-fi, I'm bouncing tracks off off of one another. Yeah. Uh, we've so been, we apologize for the audio fidelity. Yeah, we, Andy and I have basically been like ships passing in the night again, Northwater, uh, on the East Coast for the last 10 days. So now I'm back in Philadelphia, Andy's up in New York. And uh, but, but to answer your question about the Olympics, I do want to say, Chris, how big a fan are you? I mean, just like one to 10, you know, because I know a lot about you. I feel like I know a lot about your viewing habits, but sometimes you do still surprise me. 
Like, how up are you on the intricacies of street skating on a competitive level? Oh, I, I mean, I, I, I like some of the fashion choices those guys are making, but I have no idea sure. what they're doing. And that is actually a weirdly a sport where, like, watching them do it completely isolated and alone in, like, this giant man-made bowl is kind of strange. I do, I do like myself some Olympics, and my mom is a huge, huge, huge Olympics fan. So, like, the second I walked, I drove from Portland to Philly yesterday, Portland, Maine to Philly yesterday. And like the second I walked in the door, my mom had like both barrels up, like Olympic takes ready for me and just went <laughs> like unchecked for, honestly, like I would leave the room, come back in and she would be like, and then this lovely Australian was, was, was in the breaststroke finals. And I thought that they were going to win, but that, and I was just like, Oh my God, man, like, this is really like, I'm getting the full, the full download. <laughs> See, because we live in a bubble uh, from it. We've not been watching it. Okay. We're actually currently staying in a place that doesn't have a TV. Uh, there are still people like that. And I did have a moment, though, yesterday evening to fire up, fire up the Peacock app and yeah. watch things totally out of sync with reality. But I did watch some street skate with my children, which I highly recommend. Well, you are because a Tony Hawk the, skate alumnus. It was very calming and soothing as someone who loved to play the Tony Hawk video games, <laughs> just just rolling around in an abandoned swimming pool on a PlayStation 2 screen somewhere. Also, huge Betty vibes. Really about the same amount of plot in the yeah. HBO show Betty I- as there was in the <laughs> Olympic street skate with no one in the crowd. The other thing, and this is a little Daddington Island pro tip, and I'm sure people know about this because this may have happened like seven days ago. Peacock is not super into telling you, like giving you timestamps on the events you're watching. Watching the gold medal women's street skate final or whatever you call it, the competitors and in fact, the two top medalists are marginally older than my children. Seriously, yeah. Two yeah. 13-year-olds bought mitzvahs, basically, in the language of my people, are just up there shredding rails. <laughs> And it's just kind of incredible that these that these young lady girls wearing vans and giggling are just now Olympic athletes too. And I'm very, very here for it. It was a very calming and soothing uh, exercise. It's funny you mentioned the peacock thing because th- well, this was the raison d'etre of peacock, right? Yes. Is getting this thing up for the Olympics was to make it basically a streaming hub for the Olympics. Wasn't that Comcast's big kind of, that was their big gambit. It was like, we're going to have... The Olympics, and you know, I have to admit, like there are ways in which it's pretty cool. Like you know, my mom has uh, Xfinity or whatever, like the Comcast thing here. So you basically there is like a hub where I I agree with you. Somewhat divorced from time and space, you can watch totally. anything, and you can watch. You can click on the sport that you want, and it'll just shoot clips at you and and everything. But there are because it's in Japan. This is one of those games where. You have to pretend all day like you don't know what's happened if you want to enjoy it right. in prime time. So you either have to like just kind of seal yourself off from ESPN and the news or whatever, or and especially Twitter because people are just like she won, and you're like that's that's definitely going to be on at 10 p.m. My die, my guy. <laughs> did, did did you have to turn off your archery alerts on your all phone? Of them. I know all of them. Year yeah. round, you you you're always updated on the latest. And let me like, tell you, those things. Scores. It's hard to ask those those apps not to track. <laughs> it's kind of yes, the whole point. <laughs> All of the summer sports. Yeah. Do you miss, I mean, so yeah, the Peacock thing, I just want to say one more thing about it, which was when I fired it up to watch whatever, because I asked, do you want to watch the Olympics? Yeah, that sounds great. They were excited. I did think there would be like a whatever's happening right now button. 
Mm-hmm. And I did not see that. Maybe there's a different hub somewhere, but on Peacock, it's just basically like, are, are you interested in a water polo? Because here it is from some point in calendar year 2021. It, it, yeah. That feeling of immediacy, but, but of course that immediacy was always an illusion because when you and I were growing up, I mean, the first Olympics I really remember watching, it also probably worth noting, did not have that massive time zone issue were the 84 Olympics from LA. Yeah. yeah. And we were both on the East Coast, but you know, the, the the experience of the Olympics as a communal event where at 8 p.m. every night, Bob Costas would like sit down and look at you and hopefully his eye health was up to par. <laughs> you remember that? That was an odd year. I do remember but, that. But basically be like, okay, here we go. And mm-hmm. they had curated it and packaged it and you'd watch the most exciting parts of anything and you'd jump around and I'd, you know, go to bed being like, well, that was a dramatic night of television. Mm-hmm. Curated, almost scripted television. And now, you know, this is a perfect metaphor for our times. We have absolutely everything all the time. And, and I have no idea what's going on. shared filters yeah. of how to understand yeah, it. Yeah, I think some it. of it is a time zone thing for people in the States. I mean, like, you know, the London Olympics, I thought, was a really, really fun games. And, mm-hmm. you know, that was like the, Le- the LeBron basketball team, Phelps, Bolt. Like, it had, like, a really, really great storylines and a really great vibe. I thought the opening ceremony yeah. was really cool. Danny Boyle did a lot of it. Like, it was, it was really, like... Uh, and it was in LA, the London primetime was like on during the day for us. So it was like, you got to see that stuff live. I, I do think that the sort of like breaking everything down into its component parts and giving it, making it so that you can watch absolutely. Like if you want to watch um, water polo, tr- like semifinal or like any swimming heat, you can. But there is something kind of old school and pleasurable about the like, turn it on 8 p.m., there's Tariko, and then it's going to be four hours or however long of coverage. Now, it is bone-crushingly slow to watch that stuff sometimes where they're just like, yep, we're about to get ready for the uh, heat three of the breaststroke, but first, like, this guy's dog plays the drums, and that's why he's made it all the way to Tokyo. And it's like, you're just like, holy shit. I can't believe there's another human interest story. I kind of do want to go to Peacock and just... And watch watch heptathlon or something. I think it might be winter though. I, I think the other thing about it though that I that I was happy about was the again, very 2021, the story, the meta story about the Olympics, you know, delayed a year, COVID riddled in all senses. Why are we doing this? Right. The gross, you know, politicization of of everything, culture war left me feeling like I didn't even want to engage. And then we did turn on, in addition to the street skating, we watched the women's gymnastics final. And at the end of it, these people are, these women are incredible athletes. And I can't believe people do this. And I found that to be a very pure and enjoyable reaction. And maybe part of that was watching it with my children who had never seen anybody do the uneven bars. Um, But it was nice that at the end of it, and once you find the app and you download it and you click on the right thing and it doesn't crash or whatever, yeah, that's human beings. Still pretty good at stuff. Yeah, that was that. That was a good. That was a good watch. So um, I good good job by you, Olympics. <laughs> Do you want to talk a little bit? I wanted to talk to you a little bit about movies before we got to Northwater. Yeah, you know, um, everyone knows I love movies. I went to the movies for the you first did? time since I guess it would have been late February, early March, twenty. Right? Like, I guess. Yeah. yeah, I went to the movies. I went and saw Old at a, a movie theater Fantastic. in Falmouth, Maine, and. Uh, let me tell you something. I don't. This may or may not happen to you. When you you've been to the movies though, right? Like, didn't you take? Didn't you go to like a animated movie? The rest, the rest of my family. Okay. Went and saw uh, Spirit. 
the horse movie. Uh, I, I did not. Right. I did not. Ter- uh, crippling fear of animated horses. But were, was it actually because you were just like, I'm not ready to go back to the movie theater? Or were you just like, I got other stuff to do? I, I was like, I could use this time to work. So okay. please enjoy the horses. Um, so I went and saw Old. Here's the thing I'm not ready for. Okay. Concession stand decisions. Because mm. I walked in. First of all, I had an mm. amazing dinner at this place called Central Provisions, which kind of does a mid-coast spin on Basque mm. small plates. Incredible I, restaurant. I, I, I love who you've become. <laughs> I treasure it. I highly recommend the uh, the fried polenta cake. And then I, I'm, we're there. And here's what happens like when you're on vacation in America in 2021. All the tables are booked. <laughs> Somebody mm-hmm. came and booked all the tables in advance. So you're kind of like, you go up to the to the hostess or the, the maitre d' or whatever at like five o'clock when the restaurant opens and you're just like, what can you do for me? Maybe maybe you flash a little bit of a five in your palm, like do you? Just, oh, a five! Well, no, you're gonna no, get I'm just kidding. I'm not. I'm not bribing kind of cheddar. But you're just like you know, like I would like love to walk in. Could be nine o'clock. Could be five fifteen. Uh-huh. You never know uh-huh. until you go and ask, right? Because like nobody's picking up the phone in America anymore. So you just go to the restaurant. So we had dinner, a big dinner. Uh, I had a white Negroni. It was feeling great. Mm-hmm. And then we finished dinner, and it was. 6.30 p.m. <laughs> so we were like, what are we going to do? <laughs> what are we going to do with the rest of our night? So, By the, by the way, I, I laugh. I, I have booked multiple 5.45 p.m. <laughs> dinner reservations, but that's one of the many ways that my life is different from the life of Chris Ryan, a.k.a. the white Negroni. <laughs> and then I... So then we were like, let's go to the movies. So we went, we went out there, and after eating a sizable meal, I would say, including right. dessert, get to the movie theater... We're back. We're back in business. And this is a fun movie theater. It's got like recliners and stuff. I go popcorn, a little bit of butter, goobers, Pepsi, bottle of water. Wow. Yeah. Chris, was it and, kind of a mid-coast spin on popcorn and goobers? Or was it, was <laughs> it, was, it straight up it was and more, down the middle? more like, of a Basque spin on, on goobers. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of okay. small. Just a couple of goobers and then like a little drizzle of like a sardine oil. Did, did, did the concession guy say, let me tell you how our menu works? <laughs> Have you dined with us before? We, we, we encourage sharing. Yeah. Great stuff. It's kind of rustic. So there's just a couple snow caps. We just throw them out there. You guys can pick them up. <laughs> Uh, no, it was, it was a lot of fun to be back in the movies. Old is, uh, very bizarre because it's a really good idea for a movie that seems to be dubbed. Like the dialogue is so weird in the, in this movie, but, uh, I don't want to like spoil anything about it in case people still haven't gotten a chance to see it, but the movies are back. And then, and then, you know, I, I did want to talk to you a little bit about a couple of the trailers that we have missed. Wait, Chris, we're going to talk trailers, but we got to go back to Basque Country for a second because I feel like. Before we created the the image of a concessionaire, a pimply concessionaire tweezing jujubes onto a tray, I feel like you've left our re- our listeners hanging a little bit because longtime watch aficionados know that you and the concession stands they're not always not always a harmonious <laughs> combo. You coined the term popcorn tum, popcorn tum tum on this podcast once, and now you're telling me. That you ate like a Basque fisherman and then ordered savory and sweet? Yeah. With a with a oh, adult wait. size. First of cola. all, How I think I've you told do? you but I've told you this before and I'll tell you this again. The order at the movie theater is to get something chocolate with popcorn. I am a purist. I just like my popcorn. 
but I'm not a sweets guy. But so I know that I listen. I, you don't need to explain shout, the thinking shout, behind. Shout your out order. to my guy Mike and Ike, Sean Fennessy, just absolute <laughs> the, the the candy king. He's the Ike to your he, Mike. He, he is the candy man. When you say that three times, Sean shows up with some Sour Patch Kids, <laughs> and he he slaps the pretzel bites with hot cheese sauce yes. out of your hands. Yes, exactly. And he's like, it's Junior Mints or bust. <laughs> but how were you feeling? Obviously, you were thrilled and excited, and maybe a little bit buzzed on on gin. But like, did White Negroni did work, made with silver tequila? Actually, oh, beautiful. And, and, but, and I, but, but, but Chris, you're like the characters in the movie Old. After 20 minutes on the beach, <laughs> you are a calendar year older than you were the last time you were in the you movie theater. Are you okay? I think I I was totally fine, and I okay, wonder whether it was just my pure enthusiasm for film that got me through. <laughs> you know. It was mm-hmm. my love of cinema and it's and it, and and seeing films the way they are meant to be seen in a theater with a bunch of teenagers from Falmouth, Maine, and watching a movie made by Sixers ticket holder, season ticket holder M Night Shyamalan. I feel mm-hmm. like also, you know, he's operating in. You may, you may you may not know, you may not recognize the cadence of the dialogue in the film, but as a Sixer fan, it's in your love language. Yeah. Did you? Okay. Are, now I know you would never see this movie anyway because it's 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 mildly scary. You read the Wikipedia entry about it, right? I am so proud of and happy for our friend Mina Kimes, who has normalized what has been a secretive, clandestine lifestyle choice for many of us in the scaredy cat community, which is to terrorize ourselves just by reading the Wikipedia page of scary movies. I feel like Rob Harvilla did this as well with uh, Hereditary, mm-hmm. a film I will never see, and a Wikipedia page I will never look at again. There was but just like an article actually the other day about how like the dude who played the son in Hereditary is like, I'm still fucked up from being in Hereditary. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Why does everyone think these are victimless crimes? So <laughs> Mino was tweeting that like, she can't wait until the plot synopsis drops on the old wiki so she could read it. And yeah. that was a nice, that was a nice two and a half minutes of my life. And I feel like, yeah, good concept. Very cool. <laughs> um, I was curious as, because this is, this movie is literally set on Daddington Island. Right. Right. I was curious whether there's any element of you that's like, you're telling me there's a beach where my kids might grow up and move out faster. <laughs> Absolutely, absolutely not. No, but I, I these are the I years you say, cherish. Yeah, yes. Five thirty p.m. dinners. I mean, I we're not doing this one on video, but could, Chris can see. Chris can count the concentric rings around my eyes right now to see how many hours of sleep I haven't You're like gotten an old as we moved around the east coast. An old bisected <laughs> redwood. Also, as anyone who has seen the color of my hair over the last four years knows that having a second child is basically like buying beachfront property on Old Island. We're becoming, like it just, it's like Obama as president. <laughs> just like, I do, thank you for saying that. You know, yeah. I, I, I can't say that about myself, but I do think that the, the, the pressures on me are similar. Um, Wasn't it weird no, I, that, I, I, did you ever notice that Trump <laughs> didn't really change in the four years? Like all the are other guys su- are like, they go right. from like this, like, you know, like, here I am, I'm a young buck, or not, not in you know, certain people's cases, but for the most part, like they come in right. and they're like, you know, Brock just just looked great, just like this this swagger senator from Illinois, and then like it was just like grizzled listening to Springsteen by the end. Which Trump yeah. didn't, didn't really like get older. Clinton, remember when Clinton ran for president and he was just like 
eating McDonald's and playing saxophone. Yeah. And then by the time he was done, he spoke like a character in Martin Scorsese's Silence. No, he was like, <laughs> like he was like only a ate grain bowls. Saruman by the end. <laughs> so, but but wait, I, I do have to take a little issue with your initial question was is your was your initial question actually isn't it weird that trump's hair color didn't change no just like in general like he seems of all the things i mean like there was that the covid thing but like he more or less seems like chris i'm not saying this is cool i'm not saying i'm like chris if you love really dope how he didn't get older (laughs) if you love what you do you never work a day in your life you know what i mean yeah and my guy loves eating hamburgers and watching cable news like i i don't think his life changed that much <laughs> that's right i think that that is that the proof's in the pudding um before we get to the movie trailers last addington thing i did as as you alluded to i was in our great hometown of philadelphia and really unlike past visits and obviously I hadn't been back for a year and a half because of the pandemic or more than that um I was like, boy, this city's really exploding. There's great food here and, and really enjoyed a lot of the historical stuff around Betsy Ross House and Independence Hall. And I was like, I, good for me for really taking advantage of those things. And then someone did point out to me that good for my children for maturing and aging in a normal way and thus being able to enjoy things like dinner and <laughs> Betsy Ross's house. Yeah. So there are some advantages, but you don't want to buy that beachfront property no. on Old Island. That, no. that's, that's my point. This episode is brought to you by Mint Mobile. If you've had it with your overpriced wireless plan with its insanely high monthly bill and unexpected overages, then listen to this. For a limited time, wireless plans from Mint Mobile are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. That's unlimited talk, text, and data for $15 a month. Wow, right? To get this new customer offer, just go to mintmobile.com slash watch. That's mintmobile.com slash watch. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for more details. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S, 
A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Speaking of things that make me feel old, uh huh. let's talk about two movie trailers for remakes. Yeah, so I wanted to talk to you about the Ghostbusters trailer. This came out last week. Yeah. I think everybody, the, the, the take economy has already uh, boomed and busted on this one. But I didn't get the memo that mm-hmm. this was at least in vibe and like look and feel mm-hmm. going to be, I said, I mean, essentially like almost note for note feels like the Stranger Things trailer from, from the first season. But also like the Super 8 yeah. trailer, also just basically Spielberg, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. karaoke in a, in a way that may very well be very satisfying because like I certainly respond to that. But I was struck by just how they did essentially like surgically removed the thing that as a kid I actually responded to in Ghostbusters, yes. which is the deep corroded scabbed over cynicism. And I, I imagine that Bill Murray will make an appearance in this movie. I think he is. I'm there. There's like a sort of flash of Dan Aykroyd at the end of the trailer. Uh, obviously Harold Ramis passed away. So he, he's, he looms over the movie, but isn't in it. But I was like, Maybe this is the next frontier of of this stuff is to like make maybe we should make like sincere emo fletch. You know, like the next frontier of IP reimagining is like, let's just take the thing that made this special and like remove it. That that's all everything is now. And it's funny, both of us wanted to approach this with the same caveats. So big picture, I apologize. I was busy, I guess. I had no no awareness that a trailer for this movie dropped at the end of 2019 yeah. and that this was the second one. I watched the first one first, was ready to fire off the take cannons and then watch the new one. Takes were the same, but I apologize. So not only am I a week late, I'm a year plus late. I think that this movie very well could succeed on the terms that it sets out to succeed on. Mm-hmm. I think that people... Fun cast, Carrie Coon, Paul Rudd, Finn Wolfhard, you know. People might really, really like it. It might be very good. I think it's also worth noting that for as much as I'm about to complain about the fact that everything needs to be, you know, a tender coming of age generational inheritance story, the film itself on a meta level is that because mm-hmm. Jason Reitman, who is who's our age, uh, has taken over this franchise essentially from his father, Ivan Reitman, who who wrote or co-wrote and directed the first two movies. So that's baked in. That's what this project is. And I think that adds a level of um, sincerity, quite frankly, to the framing, because that's what interested him in taking on this legacy from his father and, and the success that he grew up around, surrounded by as a kid. That said, I hate it. And I hate it a lot. <laughs> Because I think it is, speaks to, I do, and I, I mean this, and I apologize to Jason Reitman, who is, a, is probably a great guy and is an interesting and worthwhile filmmaker. And again, this is a project that makes sense for him. I'm not casting aspersions as to why he would do this. Yeah, no, totally. I don't think, I don't think it's cynical, but... That might be the problem. Cu- exactly. Culturally, this is as concerning to me as the amount of people not wearing masks indoors that I see all the time. <laughs> It is, because the thing about Ghostbusters that no one seems to remember is what you said, which is that it is an insane movie for adults about cranky assholes chain-smoking, making sex jokes with ghosts around them. 
It's ridiculous. It's a raunchy late seventies comedy where the that where kind the of villain the wave of the, the villain 80s is the CGI. Environmental Protection Agency. <laughs> yes, and let's also remember that what has aged the best in that movie, or the worst, I guess, depending. But to me, the best is Bill Murray's scene when Sigourney Weaver is levitating off of the bed, and he's just riffing. Is so funny. It's so funny and. You know, I'm not saying that you and I are poster children for 80s babies who ended up well or whatever, but like being taken to the movies, that movie in the theaters in 1984, being more scared than I've ever been in the opening library scene, and then being more just like confused and thrilled and titillated by the rest of it was a foundational thing. And the idea now that everything from our childhood is worthy, not just worthy of being reimagined or rebooted or whatever, because that ship has sailed, we get it. But that everything from our childhood has become the packaged, wrapped, mint-conditioned toys on Steve Carell's wall in The 40-Year-Old Virgin and needs to be treated as reverently yeah. is crazy. Yeah. This is not a reboot of Ghostbusters. This is a reboot of a cultural it's, it's memory a movie of about Ghostbusters the idea for seven-year-olds. In the second season of Stranger Things, in the, in the trailer, you, you, if you remember, there's this whole thing where they're... Uh, as for Halloween, they go as Ghostbusters, the kids. Yes. The reason that they do that is because when we were kids at that age, at that time, we were obsessed with Ghostbusters. The reason we were obsessed with Ghostbusters was because it was so funny and so illicit. Like, Ghostbusters mm-hmm. is a kind of like, I think, at least, like, it, a lot of the monsters in Ghostbusters are jokes. You know, like they're, yes. they're like, I accidentally dreamt of this thing or there's Zool and you're just like, come on, like every, when Zool pops up, they're like, really? Seriously, Zool? You know, like, and all this stuff with the gatekeeper, the key master. Yeah, it's all fucking funny. And, and, yeah. And, and, the, and the marshmallow thing was about Dan Aykroyd's character having an innocuous memory that yes. turns into a nightmare. Yes. I, culturally, for our generation, maybe it would be the Kool-Aid man suddenly growing fangs and murdering people or, or whatever. Uh, I don't know. Who's the snap into a Slim Jim guy? <laughs> Randy Savage? Randy Savage. Popping out of a cloud or whatever. Yeah, like, right. That, that's what's funny about it. But now it is actually just about itself. So there was one big marshmallow in the first movie. Now there's 50 and they're kind of cute and funny right. or whatever. And to your point, Stranger Things, and it's it's a choice to cast the main kid from Stranger Things in this Ghostbusters movie, is this it is the kind of neutered down, backwards-looking, culturally saturated, nostalgia version of what we remember something to be. But now everything is that. Mm-hmm. You mentioned Super 8, which was J.J. Abrams not saying, I'm going to make a movie that makes sense to me as an heir to Spielberg. I'm literally going to make a Spielberg movie. Right. And the new Star Wars movie, also J.J. Abrams, being like, we're just going to lightly remix what worked the first time. We are not going to put we're not going to think about what would a Han Solo wisecracking in space be, you know, someone who shoots first. We're not going to do any of that. We're just going to keep everything wrapped in mylar. And it's a huge bummer. And I think that it would, it would be exciting to see some kind of original IP aimed at that sweet spot of 8 to 15-year-olds, but from a 2021 perspective, meaning it's not just aimed at eight-year-old boys who look like us. Mm -hmm. It could be aimed at boys and girls. It could be aimed at, you know, it could be coming from different cultural places in America. 
I'd like to see that. I kind of hate the fact that mainstream, quote-unquote, entertainment has to be good and be about becoming a better person and kids having adventures or whatever. And then where do you get the, the titillating stuff? Do you... Pornhub? I mean, I, I Ozark? Truly, like, I don't know. Yeah, is that, <laughs> is, is that is it? Is it that? Are we at that level of an either right. or situation? Right, for you're, you're either That's like I am watching like weird like ET seventy four times removed or or something yes. that no human should actually lay their eyes on. And and somehow everyone in third grade has seen it already. Exactly. Right. This, this that's what I'm talking about when I think that it's broken as a movie and as an exercise. I mean. I hope that it entertains a lot of people. It yeah. seems like it was made to with with heart and affection and sure. But come on, man. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess in some ways, here's the counter you could make, is that the, the okay. lightning in a bottle act of Ghostbusters, the fact that they basically made a hysterical comedy about how frustrating it is to live in New York City <laughs> and yeah. then just kind of slapped ghosts on top of it, is it, you 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 just can't do that. Like you just can't. That is those guys and Annie Potts and Sigourney Weaver making something very special in that moment, and then it just actually getting out of control. Which is what happened to a lot of blockbusters in the eighties, where it was like you try mm-hmm. and then you do something you thought was good, and then all of a sudden, weirdly, like every kid in America wanted to wear that jumpsuit and have the have that station wagon. It, it, it's also that the movie, as you said, is about nerds and losers. Yes, there is no one in in Ghostbusters or Ghostbusters 2 that is just like, wow, Egon Spengler actually is our savior. Right. Or a genius. Like, reverent, you know, reverentially talking about him. Like, he's left us a legacy here. Right. A- everyone's just, I mean, it's just, it's just insane 80s New York. Everyone's like, well, these dorks saved us. Now let's, what, now what's Ed Koch said next? Like, like <laughs> let's move on. Like, there, there is this... It's not a Sokovia situation, you know what I mean? And it didn't need to be, but everything has to be now. And it, it is an interesting pivot that the other movie we're talking about, and I imagine we're going to talk about it in fonder or more exciting terms, is also a reboot of a mid-80s film. But it's also, about, it's really funny, because like Dune is coming. That's the movie we're talking about is Dune, and it's the, the new trailer for Dune came out uh, last week as well. It looks incredible. It looks like a Denis Villeneuve movie. It has has elements of arrival in it. You can see kind of like his... His sort of sci-fi mind is is very clearly defined. Um, all of the like kind of this one really emphasizes the ensemble and and like Momoa and Brolin and Oscar Isaac and Rebecca Ferguson all look incredible in this. But it's so funny how many eggs I have in the Dune basket because I'm like, <laughs> like somehow Dune is like the the like the like last vestige of original Hollywood filmmaking, even though. It is, yes. uh, you know, the, the second time they've tried to make this as a, a movie, they made it as a series a few years ago uh, on sci-fi. It is, it is largely like considered to be an unfilmable book. So they're going to try and break this into two movies, I think. And also there is already a uh, Ladies of Dune, right? What is it? Something like that, yeah. Yeah, like the, there's a Dune spinoff on HBO Max. So yeah, I mean, I thought it looked incredible, but I have noticed with with in growing interest how much like pressure seems to be on dune to be there's a lot of pressure great. on us yeah it's very easy to imagine a world where this is a catastrophe not creatively right but from a financial uh perspective which is not how we want to engage with this movie but it does feel a little creaky around the around the around the joints because 
what we're what it's asking us to do, or what it's it's attempting to do, right, is to be the exception that maybe allows the rule. Meaning, this is a Denis Villeneuve film. This right. is a film made by an auteur filmmaker. We will see his new movie no matter what it is. And he has the full resources of a company that generally spends this amount of money to recreate Krypton, you know, during Zack Snyder reshoots or whatever. Right. And he gets the greatest cast. When we talked about the trailer the first time, I mean, everyone you just named, I mean, you didn't even mention Chalamet or Zendaya. Like, right. you put these people in a movie, I- I'm going to see this movie. This is a phenomenal cast. And there is an element of watching this trailer of, it's you know, it's like watching an all-star game. Like, I- I'm not even sure what scoring means, and I'm not even <laughs> sure if I care who wins, right. but I love seeing these players out on the floor together. So that's all there, but it is still in the service of propping up a potential new IP tent for Warner Brothers. I mean, as you said, there's already a spinoff show, and it is based on this book that is legendary and beloved among its fans. Very curious who those fans of the book are in 2021 and what they look like. I mean, I am... I'm not proudly, I am generally Dune ignorant. I mean, I've seen the David sure. Lynch movie twice, but not for a long time. I remember Spice. I remember the fat guy in the suit floating. And I remember the pain box, which is what I, so I, what I call Twitter. <laughs> and I, but it is about moons and spice worms. You know, that is not Hollywood stuff sure. generally mainstream but who stuff. knows if we if i had like told you the plot of game of thrones in, in exactly 2010, I, you might have so been like oh i don't know it doesn't fit easily into our uh, in, into a binary narrative of what hollywood is doing is cynical and bad and we wished for a return to a different era i mean this is also there are, this always was the era i mean cleopatra was a giant swollen blockbuster too right it's mm-hmm. just it, it's just the ip expectations of it and you and i are trying to come at this with unspiced minds being like oh my god like oscar isaac is telling asking timothy chalamet if he wants to have a catch on a sand planet so okay we're gonna go see it cool trailer looks beautiful sounds incredible even the sound design and music but what a weird one yeah what a weird one and then and and then how are we even going to process it when it comes out because we don't know where we'll be at societally is it going to be on hbo max well it's, it go, does, it's going to be cannibalize? i think it's still going to be day and date hbo max um i just think that they're gonna i think that that now like you know jungle cruise is coming out this week i think that there has been some like nervousness about the, the box office numbers even though black widow obviously is also available on a streaming service like i think people are starting to get a little jumpy about the fact that and and as as everybody has a right to be jumpy because we've also been given this information that maybe we shouldn't be hanging out yes. in movie theaters together without our masks on. So it's it's just such a, a confusing time and they're trying to keep this industry propped up. Can I put on, can I borrow your industry guy, deep thinker, Jonas Era glasses for a second? For sure. And just, just, just make a general pitch to Hollywood. What if your blockbuster wasn't about a, a young boy or man who was special? <laughs> Like, I, I, what if? Now, I know that runs contra to all the billion-dollar grocers, you know, especially because of the Marvel movies. Yeah. But, like, what if? You know what I mean? Because just to go back to Ghostbusters for a second, the thing that was great about that is that those dudes were middle-aged losers. Yeah. Said the middle-aged loser on no, the podcast. No, but we saw I mean, it. Were, but the thing was is that, like, that we saw that movie when we were, like, eight or whatever, and we were like, yeah. I want to be that. I want to be yeah. a... Bill f- Murray is cool. Yeah. That's I don't want to be... Finn Wolfhard, no offense to Finn Wolfhard. I want to be like this balding 
cynic. And I, I got my wish. You did it. <laughs> you did it. You get a ghost trap. You get a ghost trap. Uh, so it's just that that piece of it. And that's why, look, I'm under no illusions. That's why Warner Brothers put a quarter billion into this movie, Dune. Because yeah. you, if you squint, it's just Spider-Man again <laughs> on the sand. But yeah, let's... Can we can we just try just try just just I'm not even asking for 250 million and I'm not personally asking I'm just saying yeah like take wh- a hun- shave 100 mil off the top and give it to somebody what, else what about what if we just with. had a lawyer take an unwinnable case you know what I mean like <laughs> oh my god <laughs> how about that now you're talking you know what about a cop who who goes let, who goes let, off the rails trying to solve a crime you know, let like, me stop you there is it a child lawyer is it a Doogie <laughs> Hauser? But See, that's the thing, though. Situation. Are we being assholes? Like, isn't it, is that just what A Few Good Men is? Is this boy who becomes a man? You know what I mean? Like, are, like it's hard to get away from. Yeah, I mean, Joseph Campbell is nodding his head somewhere on Mount Olympus. Yes, that, that, those are stories. But that, the, the, that is just so, that, the, the Campbell thing, the Campbell myth, the Star Wars thing, it's just, oh God, it's just exhausting at this point. It's exhausting. I don't know if the North Water adheres to the Campbell myth. Do you want to do that? No. I, I, I was thinking about a way into it. If you want a show about cynical middle-aged men doing stuff. Okay, so hey. this this show is streaming on AMC Plus. It's it's uh I think it's BBC Two is is where it originally aired or where it originally airs, and it's a co-pro. Obviously, it's written and directed by Andrew Hay, who, who who's also the creator of the show. It's based on a novel by Ian McGuire. Here's the deal: it's eighteen fifty-nine. In England, and a surgeon, a disgraced surgeon played by uh, Jack O'Connell, joins up with a whaling vessel leaving Hull, England. And that mm-hmm. vessel is captained by a guy named Brownlee, who's played by Stephen Graham, who's one of my favorite character actors. And you, you may remember him as Al Capone in Boardwalk Empire. Yeah. And then he was also famously in The Irishman, in one of the best scenes in The Irishman. Um, and then uh, is is also populated by a, a, a rogues gallery, and maybe no no man no more rogue in the history of humanity than Colin Farrell as a whaler whaling harpoon a harpoonist harpoon specialist harpoon specialist uh, named Henry Drax D R A X yeah and um, this is one of those shows where I kind of needle Andy to watch after a while I've seen two episodes. Uh, I think believe three are available on AMC Plus right now. I've needled Andy. No, just two. I think only just, two. Yeah. Only two episodes. I've needled Andy to watch it. It's like, yes, I'll, I'll do that. And then I get nothing. No, <laughs> no sneak peek of the takes. I will say the show is not for the weak of stomach or heart. Uh, but I'm very curious to know what you think. I'm going to just say this to our audience. Um, if you are one of the people who gets the WWF catalog and not the wrestling i mean the world wildlife foundation <laughs> and you see that if you donate 9.99 you could choose a stuffed animal of replica of the animal that you have donated to help save and preserve and if the animal you've chosen is for example a baby seal mm-hmm. which happens i'm just going to give you the biggest trigger warning trigger of an 1859 era appropriate rifle yeah and say this isn't your show nope that's cool. No harm, no foul. <laughs> well, except for the seals. I, they are harmed. <laughs> they and took, it's foul. There's some contact under the rim. For those yeah, cats. they're playing they're playing like the Euroleague rules yeah. in terms of contact. Um I uh Chris, the reason there was no feedback is because, you know, 
traveling with family, not in our home where there's television. So it didn't fire up the show until 10.30 p.m. So I didn't want to disturb you because I know you need your you need your eight. You need your eight hours. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? In, in Especially if you're going to be boarding a whaling vessel in the morning. Um, when you checked in with me this morning, I did reply. I don't want people to think that I was, that I was ghosting you. I sure. replied first with the stunned face emoji <laughs> and then two seal emojis followed by a skull. So that, I want you to know that that was proof that I watched sure. the show. I really, I, I'm going to watch the show. I'm on board and I, I respect it and I even liked it. And one of the reasons why I respect it is that Andrew Hayes, a filmmaker who I like a lot, um, he made the HBO show Looking, he made a classic film, romantic film called Weekend. A filmmaker who is famous for, or, or re- highly regarded and known for telling uh, gay love stories in addition to other kinds of stories, focusing on this hyper macho masculinity and violence of this era is fascinating. And his commitment, he wrote and directed this, as you said, based on a, based on a book, that makes it immediately compelling to me. And mm-hmm. you can tell. I mean, it is beautifully directed. I and mean, it is considered. So that's the number one thing. Is it, 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 you know, I know that a lot of people might have trouble stomaching some of the stuff that happens on screen in the show. This is like elite filmmaking. The first episode yeah. is full of these like wandering tracking shots throughout uh, a recreation or perhaps on location or, or using a stand-in city to, to recreate 19th century, mid-19th century hull. And it's, you know, going down these alleys and into these sort of doorways and into pubs and into apothecaries and onto docks and then onto the boat. And it's breathtaking. And it it creates this warren of, like, vice and sin and moral compromise that obviously they're going to take out into these wide open spaces of the Shetland Islands and and then, I guess, Greenland. Yes, and I think that it's important to say that, like, for people who, um, you know, I, th- I know I'm not the only one who has, you know, itchy pilot trigger finger. Like, when shows begin, they tell you, they try to tell you who they are and what they are, and sometimes that can be off-putting if you're not expecting it. And this show begins where uh, Spinal Tap's amps begin at 11. I mean, black screen... Colin Farrell rutting, there's no other <laughs> word for it, with a prostitute, uh-huh. and then stumbling through the streets of Hull, where in the background, children are kicking and poking at a dead dog with a stick. Yeah. And I was like, oh boy. The thing is, though, this isn't a bit. There's full commitment to it. This is the world of the show, and so it is actually an appropriately chosen beginning, and you are now in it, and you are not going to be not in it for a while. I, I think that it's worth saying, Chris, that you know sometimes also people, I'm not the only one, when approaching a show, like looks for a point of view character, right? Or like, how can I find myself in this show emotionally so that I can keep my balance and sort of understand how I'm how to process what I'm watching? And you know, I have never shot a seal, mm. chased it across an ice floe, clubbed it to death, then used a knife to slice its skin off. I've, I've never done it, and I'm okay admitting that. You know, just like I told you, I'd never seen Apocalypse Now. Like, this is a safe space. Sure. However. There was a moment in the pilot, and this is not a spoiler if you haven't watched it, because as, you, as we said, it's, so far it's just this disgraced surgeon. It's just, it's just guys being boat. dudes. <laughs> it's, just, it's just dude stuff. But yet, you joke, but there was a moment where I was like, okay, I've been there. I've been exactly there. And I don't know if you noted this moment as well, but there's a moment when 
Jack O'Connell plays the disgraced surgeon who dresses like he's starring in Downhill Racer in 1969 or something. Just beautiful, Just beautiful incredible turtlenecks, turtlenecks. coats. <laughs> yeah. He is invited for a night out before they go club seals to death and right. eventually whales. And so there's a moment when he, dressed like a dandy on Carnaby Street in 1969, gets on a dinghy with Colin Farrell and the first mate and another guy from the ship. And on this boat, there are four individual men going for a night out on the town. Mm -hmm. And one of the men is only thinking about scoring, about finding a lady. As he says, he says some memorable things that I'm not going to (laughs) say. But he's very, very single-minded in what he's after. Okay, Another man is equally single-minded about getting extremely drunk and belligerent as quickly as possible. Right. The third guy just wants to talk to the other guy a lot about his plans and his future. And drinking and ginger beer. And the fourth beer. guy, yeah. wearing the turtleneck, is like, I've committed to this, and I'm just going to have to see it through. And I got to <laughs> tell you, Chris, I feel like I've been on that dinghy, especially in New York City, between the years of 2002 and 2007. <laughs> I really related to that. Yeah. I really related to being wildly overdressed and not ready for what was about to pop up. It's just, it's the Second Avenue subway station. <laughs> <laughs> it really was. I was there. So I do think the show has something to say about, if not contemporary masculinity, at least something contemporary. Uh, you should also watch the show because Colin Farrell is, uh, is, is going for it. Uh, it is actually a really great combination of obviously s- some. I guess you could call it scene chewing. You could just, it's a very notable performance. Like this guy, he speaks of the very distinct cadence and accent and is essentially, I would say probably he's, he's an illiterate murderer is what I would describe Henry Drax as <laughs> both of, of beast, both uh, ambulatory and, yeah. and, and seal like, but uh, he is so fully committed both physically and emotionally to this sort of situation, this scene but the amazing thing is that Hay is not shooting him like he's uh, Jack Nicholson in A Few Good Men, where it's like everybody right. clear out for Colin Farrell's close-up as he gives a uncannily uh, articulate speech about his character or something. He is a caveman dragging Knuckles around the Shetland Islands, and Hay puts him in the shadows like he's like Mm -hmm. this is the guy that lurks in the darkness this is the guy you don't want to meet at the end of the alley this is the guy that you don't want to be at last call with or first call because he's already drunk and yeah i like i think people are probably like you guys have talked about this show for 10 15 minutes now we haven't really said what it's about i don't really know it's 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 about you know these guys are on this this vessel i don't want to give it away but you know we talked i think a little bit last week about we were talking about ted lasso and some other stuff but we were talking about the sort of ominous heaviness of, of mystery that like is seems to be required by all shows. There's not really a mystery mm-hmm. to this show. There's just, it starts in the heart of darkness and it's on a voyage into the heart of even darker. I, I mean, there's some machinations. Sure. Of what, what happened in, in uh, Mr. Sumner, the surgeon's past. There's some stuff going on with insurance claims in the boat, but, but yeah, it's basically like, it, it's not a spoiler to say it about the show or about life in general that, oh, the real devils are men all along. Right. And that's what the show's about, but it is a very focused so far uh, example of that. And to, to just add on to your Colin Farrell point, look, people know. People that listen to this podcast know how much we love him as an actor. You and I both interviewed him on this podcast and others. We just are huge, huge fans. 
and in almost everything he does. And yet still, even though, you know, I, I think one of the first pieces I wrote for Grandland was Colin Farrell as a character actor now. Mm-hmm. I still have some mental blocks where I'm like, he's so good. And I remember when he was the bright shining star that when I saw that he was in this, what, you know, relatively obscure British show that you can only get with an add on subscription to Prime or to your Sundance Now, AMC Plus, whatever, I was like, well, he, he must be the star of the show. And then you watch the show and he's not, he's the heavy. And it's suiting, it suits him as a character actor, but I was also like, why, why is he doing this? Why would he join the show? And then you watch it and you realize that he is a harpoonist named Drax. <laughs> and you're like, this is what actors want to do. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? Like Jack O'Connell uh, looks like a leading man, is a little bit more interesting, I think, which is what makes him a compelling actor. And he's doing a lot with what is the more traditional in some ways POV character. Yeah. But what all actors want to do, honestly, is grow their hair to Jason Momoa length and just, you know, hit people with bricks <laughs> or, and, and sometimes, sometimes, you know, Arctic animals. Yes. And I, I, I no longer question why he took this role because he is absolutely making a full meal of it. And uh, it's amazing. He's incredible. No, no in it. Yeah. I'm really excited to keep watching it. So people should check it out if they, if they may still have their AMC plus uh, subscription from watching the bureau. If not, I highly recommend people check it out. Uh, we can wrap it up there. Andy and I will be back on Monday. We'll probably talk a little White Lotus. We'll probably talk a little... There's a bunch of shows uh, to talk about. Big big August for us, probably, because we've got a lot of uh, fun guests coming and also like The Chair, Nine Perfect Strangers. There's a bunch of good shows coming on. So uh, excited I, for the end I of the summer. I might get my microphone back, too. Yeah, let's hope. Who knows? Thanks for bearing with us today on the audio day. And thanks to Kaya for producing. We'll talk to you guys soon. Great. Have a great. Have a great week. Have a great Friday. Have a great weekend, Bransky's. I, I don't even know if you can hear me, but if you could, I hope it's a good one. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.